Welcome, everyone, to the Bread of Life radio ministry. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and I'm glad you've joined us for a time together learning from God's Word. This program is brought to you by Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship Church here in Boise, Idaho. To find out more about our ministries, go to breadoflifeboise.org or traincpe.org. In Romans chapter 3, verses 25 and 26, Paul speaks of Jesus Christ and his saving work, speaking of him, quote, whom God set forward as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I direct your attention to the phrase twice repeated here, to demonstrate his righteousness. In other words, the cross proves that God is righteous and vindicates him against anyone who might suggest otherwise. God's saving work proves that God's way with humans throughout human history has been and is just. You should want God's justice to be vindicated. You should want the righteousness of God to be demonstrated and proven. The chaos that is in our life is the result of injustice. It's the imbalance that is caused by the distortion of sin away from the right way of life. And in the middle of this imbalance and in the middle of this wobbling world, our basic instinct is to plea for justice. It's set within our very natures. A little child is born. This is true. One of the first compound, complex sentences that any child will speak or at least think is, that's not fair right? It's been heard in the back seat of almost every car that's ever driven across country. That's not fair. It's, and it's when you've been pouring out the cereal bowl or when you've been dishing out the ice cream. That's not fair, right? Someone's going to cry. It is in the instinct of human nature and it rises up shortly after a child begins to express tender affections and love. The next thing it shows it has a tender affection and love for justice or at least its perception of justice. Even when a child is trying to argue for itself before some kind of punishment, their appeal is to some sense of justice. They'll say, I didn't mean to. They'll say, she did it first. He made me do it. What are they doing? They're arguing on some terms and some desire that put the world right, dad. Put the world right, mom, because this is not just and we need to, let's approach this in a just way. And it's a part of our nature. It's how God's made us. It's a reflection that we're made in the image of God. It tells us that deep inside of us there is this pulse beat or this desire or this longing that everything would be made right and that justice would prevail. God came to Abraham in the book of Genesis and God revealed to Abraham that he was going to judge the cities on the plain. He was going to wipe out all of Sodom and he was going to wipe out all of Gomorrah. And Abraham, in this kind of intimate relationship he had with God where God was revealing to him what was happening, Abraham doesn't take this intimate relationship as an opportunity for him to pray for himself. Instead of all things, Abraham prays for Sodom and Gomorrah. God reveals that he's taking Abraham into his confidence, and he's got this close relationship. And what a righteous response on Abraham's part, instead of saying, well, I got some blessings they want you to give me. I got some provisions I want to have for myself. I'm kind of tired of living in tents. Instead, he prays for the people in the city of the plain, in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And 
He starts praying that God would rescue and deliver the city from his destruction. And as he prays, ultimately in his prayers, he, in this contest he has in prayer, he, he's able to provoke God to promise to spare the cities on the plain of Sodom and Gomorrah if there are but 10 righteous individuals in those cities. It's kind of interesting, but that's all it was required to start a, a house of worship or a synagogue of worship in the Jewish tradition with 10 righteous men. That's how it began. There would be the establishment of a community of righteousness in the city. But as we learn, God will destroy the city because there's not 10 righteous individuals in that city. But listen in Genesis 18.25 to how Abraham argues for this. Abraham says, Far be it for you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, God that's not righteous, that's not just. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God, are you not going to do the right thing? And of course, the answer to that question to Abraham is yes. The judge of all the earth shall do what is right. But Abraham's prayer and the echo of his prayer reveals this deep desire that is actually somewhat embedded in the heart of every person a desire that the world would be just and right. Of course, when individuals, sinful individuals, take it into their hands to impose justice and righteousness, they actually just impose their unrighteous judgment on the earth. They usually cause more havoc and more problems than they do good when they don't wait upon God, when they impose their own ideas and understanding what's right and what's just. Even those impulses and those actions express that there's something in us that longs that everything would be set right. It's, in a sense, the great and final desire of life. It's not a desire for happiness. It's not a desire for peace. It's not a desire for blessing and from some state of uninterrupted love. All of these will be wonderfully and fully met when we get to heaven, but tied into all these things is a deep, abiding desire for balance, for justice for what is right to be done. Something of our very selves would be frustrated. It would nag us until justice was met. We want justice. That's interesting, isn't it? Even the person who might want to live forever would find out that it would be a living hell if he lived in a place where justice was not being applied and established. It's the great longing of the human heart that the judge of all the earth would do right. The book of Revelation reveals to us the song of the saints. It's the song of the Lamb that we're going to sing before God and exalting before Him in heaven. It's found in Revelation chapter 15. And let me read to you verses 3 and 4 to give you the heart, of the center point from which this exaltation and song rise. Think about it. In heaven, we're going to be exalting God and we're going to be praising Him. And, and here is you might, the center point of what God has done that we're going to rally around. It says this, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been made manifest. Just and true are your ways. Your judgment, your perfect righteous judgment has been made manifest. That's going to be the song of praise that rises up from us when we get to heaven one day. We want it. We desire it. We long for it. Even the sinful man knows deep inside 
that that's what he wants above everything else. Justice. Righteousness to prevail. Here's a third thing. We should marvel that God wants us to know that he has done and does and will do what is right and just. We should marvel that God wants us to know that what he has done and will do and does is just. Here's our passage in verse 25. To prove his righteousness. To demonstrate his righteousness. In verse 26. To prove or demonstrate his righteousness. Who is he demonstrating this to? Who is he proving this to? God acts to prove or demonstrate that he is just with us to us. He wants me to know and you to know that all he's done is just and true and right. And this reveals something about God's view of humanity. It reveals something about God's view of you. God holds you sinful as you are. God holds us sinful as we are. God holds all people sinful as they are in high regard. An amazing regard. God honors the image, his image in which we have all been made. God is committed at the end above all things in displaying before us the complete justice and righteousness of his sovereign ways. He wants us to know that. Isn't that rather profound? Isn't that incredibly awesome? I don't know how to actually, again, there are things that I discover in Scripture that I don't know exactly how to get my mind around. I don't want to exalt myself too high, but you know, this tells me that because of my sin, because of what I am, I sin, I cannot think too low of myself. But because I'm made in the image of God, I can't think too high of myself either. God is revealing something wonderful about the way he's made us. And he's going to honor it. And he's going to demonstrate and prove to us. He puts it upon himself. The all-powerful, almighty God puts it upon himself to prove and demonstrate to us, we, us, that he's righteous and just. Tread lightly, but what an awesome thought. What a humbling thought. And yet at the same time, what an exalting thought. Why you're important to God. Here is the last point here. Take a little bit more time with this. The cross, fourth, reveals God's justice in God's forbearing or suspending or delaying his full punishment upon sin. The cross of God, Christ reveals God's justice in his righteousness in forbearing or suspending or delaying his full punishment upon sin. You know, one of the common questions that people ask in our day and age is, why does God allow terrible things to happen? Why do these horrible things that we see in our society taking place? Why is God letting that happen? Here's a more difficult question to answer. It's if you understand what the Bible reveals to be true about our natures. If you read Romans chapter 3 verses 10 through 18. In which we're described as being encased with the perfume of a rotting grave coming out from us. And having feet that are swift to shed blood and that misery and destruction is in our ways and that there's none righteous, no, not one, that our impulse is an impulse away from God and our impulse is an impulse into violence and destruction. When you understand what man is made of in and of himself because of his sin, because of his fallen nature, the question is not why do these things happen? The question is why don't they happen all the time? The question is why does these things take place? But it's why hasn't the hammer of God's complete and utter justice fallen and brought an end to all of this and stopped it and banished all this criminal behavior and all these criminals into the just place of punishment that he set aside? Why is it being delayed? 
Why is it happening and why is it being suppressed? We might understand that right now the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit. I believe it is. It's in 1 Thessalonians or 2 Thessalonians and we'll have to go look up the address later in your scripture. But it talks about a restrainer that is restraining evil and that there's coming a time when that restrainer in the history of mankind will be taken out of the way. And at that moment when that restraint is pulled out of the way, the man of lawlessness will be revealed and the earth will catapult into a time of complete destruction where in a period of three and a half years, one half of the world's population is destroyed. But what happened? God withholds his hand of restraint. But right now he's restraining it. Why? Why is he restraining it? Why isn't he letting us and just stepping aside and letting us completely uninhibited act out the primal sinfulness and fallenness of our human natures? Well, what this passage tells us is that God has delayed the full expression of his justice. That's the word forbearance there. That God has forbeared or he's held back that full expression of his justice and that this was in itself a righteous thing for God to do. It's not that God won't punish sin. It's not that God won't deal in perfect and complete judgment at the end of the age, but that God has held back the full unleashing of that justice. He's delayed or he's forbeared in the implementation of his justice against our sins for a purpose. There's much to rest our thoughts upon from today's lesson, but we're not done. Join us next time and we'll answer the questions How does God justly suspend His judgment upon sinful people? This is the age of God's forbearance. What does that mean for you and I? All that in our next broadcast. Go to breadoflifeboise.org to learn more about our ministries at home and abroad. Now, until we join again together around the Bread of Life, may God bless you.